today on Wanna Be On Top, we are really getting into all of the iconicness of Top Model as we begin our Cycle 3 recap of America's Next Top Model. This is the cycle that left a massive stamp on pop culture, and we had to bring a pop culture guru on to spill all the tea. We are going to be joined today by the one and only Evan Ross Katz, and we take a deep dive into the first episode of Cycle 3, Diets, Drama, and Eva the Diva. We are talking about it all, and you aren't going to want to miss this one. Forever. Our top model fans born or made. Hey, I'm Shea Coulee and welcome to Wanna Be On Top, a podcast where I explore the cultural phenomenon that launched a thousand smizes. Today, I am super excited because we begin our journey into America's next top model, Cycle 3. As always, I'm joined by insatiable power bottom and top model expert Maxwell Esposito. Hi, Maxwell. How you doing today, girl? I am doing so well, Shay. Thank you. I'm very caffeinated. I'm ready to party. I'm very excited today as well. I love Top Model Cycle 3. It's definitely when um, the moving parts really started to click. Like, all everybody had a job. Everybody was cast to be some sort of part in this production show. And, I mean... Cycle 3 is legendary. Yeah, Cycle 3 is absolutely legendary. And just hearing about you being caffeinated actually just made me realize that I have not had um, any caffeine yet today. But that does not deter from the fact that I am super excited about Cycle (laughs) 3 of America's Next Top Model because, look... I feel like, honestly, I feel like the, the casting of this is absolutely just spectacular. Okay, we Chef's get kiss. some of the most iconic characters in top model history. I mean, firstly, I just want to I, 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 I just want to talk about the moment with Eva and casting where I feel like we get the 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 perfect like um um tough girl with the heart of gold like within seconds when she walks into that casting room and like Tyra reads her down and she like completely opens up like we just like ah we know immediately we're like we're going to love this girl she's got layers like I mean that was a full journey like the moment she walked in you were like yes girl and then she started (laughs) crying and you were like Yes, girl. Yes. Like, it was a full journey. <laughs> we were rooting for her in so many ways. And, like, that literally happened within, like, 10 seconds. And so, I mean, just, like, from the jump, we were hooked on season three. I mean, cycle three. Yeah, Pardon. And know. cycle three, I feel like, was one of the first times, too, where I really felt like the show was also, like, hitting mainstream. Like, I remember seeing that Lee's Jeans ad in magazines, not just the one they say on the show. Like, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing Eva in stores. Like, Missy Elliott, top model diva, but my name's not Eva. Like, I mean, (laughs) it was fully everywhere. Absolutely. And look, Cycle 3 is such an iconic cycle in Antian history. And I wanted to get a pop culture historian to come and welcome this cycle and these girls. So I am so excited to welcome to the show fashion columnist and host of his podcast, Shut Up Evan, Evan Ross Katz. Hi, Evan. How's it going? It's going so well. I'm so excited to be here. I'm such a fan of this podcast. And I have to say, Cycle 3 is by far my favorite season of Top Models. So this feels very meant to be. Well, thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you. Yes, no, it is such a pleasure. And so, I mean, we we love to reflect you know, to set the scene whenever we're starting a new cycle. So cycle three of America's Next Top Model aired the same years as cycle two. But unlike many of the shows we get now where we get one installment each year, 
Tyra was cranking out top models out right out the gate. So let's go there. We are right at the end of September 2004. Evan, can you please describe for us like where Evan Ross Katz was around September 2004? What were you wearing? What were you doing? Well, I was definitely in a state of mourning because... Another show that was on UPN at the time of Top Model was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which aired its series finale in May of 2003. So the journey, the beginning of Top Model really coincides with Buffy's move from the WB to UPN. And the really the two tent poles of UPN were Buffy the Vampire Slayer and America's Next Top Model. So in 2004, I definitely think, though I was very happy to continue my Top Model journey, I think not having a Sarah Michelle Gellar, Tyra Banks double feature weekly was impacting my mental health. Oh my gosh. I can only (laughs) imagine. Wow. Wow. Thank you for taking us there. And I'm, I'm so glad that like now you can um, speak about that experience from the other side, a stronger person. Totally. You know? Yeah. Why was Sarah Michelle Gellar never on top model? She would be a great acting Coach. That, that is a really great question. But I do remember very distinctly because the U- UPN at the time, before Buffy and before Top Model, it was very uh, World Wrestling Federation was like their big dominant uh, Thursday night staple. And I feel like Buffy and Top Model were the first two shows to come along and really help push UPN into, you know, the fold and really making it a competitor and the dominant dominant network in the space. So I feel like that link up could have happened. It should have happened. But Top model is technically still on the air. And so, you know, there is still time. Yes. Yes. That Um, is so true. It is still on the air. Yeah, technically. Every time I put (laughs) that up and there's no end line there, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Congrats. It's very curious, right? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. It's just all like top model for forever. Yeah. As it should Um, be. Yeah. Now, okay. Did you watch season three as it aired? Absolutely. I was so addicted to top model. Oh, I see. I love this. I love it because like, it's always really great when we have like a deep, true top model fan that was literally watching these, these amazing moments happen as they unfolded on TV because there, there's just like such a a stronger connection to it. And so, you know, we always love to get like deep, deep with our, our fellow top model stands. I totally agree. And like, also, I was thinking, even in going back and rewatching this episode, the excitement that the girls have when Tyra enters the room, you -hmm. just don't get that on like modern reality television because people are just, we're so used to interacting with celebrities in some way. Celebrities are much more accessible. But in 2004, Uh you're sitting in a room and Tyra Banks walks in. You get up out of your seat immediately. And I love that energy. When I was rewatching it today, I was reminded of like the force that I was going to say was, but is the force that was and is Tyra Banks. And I love the fact that in 2004, this America was Tyra Banks's America, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I'm would just still like, rise about- if I saw Tyra. I totally. would still <laughs> rise. Like to this day. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm like thinking about it too, like, the, the, the like genuine just like screams of like excitement from these contestants when Tyra Banks would walk in the room. Like I'm thinking like now like what that would be like if like, you know, it's fun on like Drag Race. Like RuPaul walks in the room and like the girls are all like, we're excited. We're like, oh, hey girl. Like and we're all like gagging over RuPaul's suit. But like, could you imagine if we just like screamed at the top of our lungs? Oh my God. <laughs> or fainted. Didn't or- some of those girls faint? <laughs> One like girl fall, did, yeah. Like she fall to the ground. Was like so it makes sense, beside though. Herself. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you just gotta faint. Just overall, just like thematically, like cycle three. What are your biggest like peaks and pits, like your tops and your bottom moments of of the season for you, Evan? Well, it's interesting because you hit on this earlier when you were talking about this cast and. When I was going back and rewatching the first episode today, it really feels like an all-stars season in that there's just, I forgot that Tiffany originated from this cycle before she was brought back. I forgot that story. Oh my God. And when I watched her getting the drink poured on her at the club, my mouth opened wide. I couldn't believe it. 
Could not believe it. So I just am, I think what I take away from this season is just, and then Takara, who's probably my favorite of all time. Just seeing yes. that many, oh, for sure. Just seeing that many dynamic, I was gonna say characters, but they're people. That many dynamic mm-hmm. people on this singular cast was just such a delight. And then also just like, it's the very first night and they have that pool party and they're in the pool, first of all, and they've got girls on each other's shoulders and they're just like having <laughs> a full-blown kiki after meeting probably, what, an hour earlier. I just kind of appreciated how willing everyone seemed to play. And I don't just yeah. mean play like the competition of Top Model. I mean play, like let their hair down, have fun, go to the bar, kick it, get to know each other. There was just an energy about this season that it flowed so nicely. It was just so expertly cast. Yes, yeah, top to bottom. It yes. was absolutely, I feel like it was cast so, so, so well. Mm, yeah. Um, any Any major standout moments from season three for you? I mean, there's a couple, the one that comes to mind, I don't know her name, but it's the woman that decides uh, halfway through her very first meeting with Tyra that she's going to leave. She's like, this is too much for me. And she stomps out. It's like, it's a meme now. Um, Yes. Oh my God. Me and my, my, my daughter Bambi and I, we love to like quote her all the time. And honestly, I don't, I don't remember that, that contestant's name. Well, was she really a contestant? She didn't really really step in. She was a semi-finalist. Yes, a semi-finalist. They asked her like, what a whopping four questions and she's just like you know what no uh -uh, I also appreciated how much they like turned the volume up there were so many moments and particularly (laughs) with the glass shattering in the club and then also with her stomping just the sound effects were so pristinely placed in the the (laughs) post-edit that it was like she is stomping but like they are making sure they turn the volume up 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 which I love and then it was Natalie I look just look Natalie it's Natalie justice for Natalie Um, And then the other standout for me, besides Eva's journey, which I think is sort of Mm -hmm. an overarching piece of the season, is Amanda. um, Oh, yeah. Who is, I was gonna say, how do you solve a problem like Amanda? But she's not a problem. But Amanda's complex. um, Yeah. But I have to say, there's that moment when she talks about conceiving her child in the moonlight on 9-11, I believe. Mm -hmm. To the hour. To the hour. Yeah, that stands out for me as a just truly batshit bizarre moment. (laughs) Yeah, because I remember being like, he was conceived to the hour on nine. And I was like, the hour of what? That's right. That's a great question. (laughs) I mean, well, what about she also made up that Eva took her crystals? Mm. Oh, yeah. And Mm. she hid them from herself. Yeah, she hit the. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Those are, you know, and it's crazy because, like, and watching it back now, you know, when you're older, when I was like younger as a teen, I was like, oh, this poor girl, she lost her crystals. Like, I I honestly genuinely felt so bad for her. But then um, I totally forgot that she had only hid them from herself. And it was also like kind of like this weird, like, microaggression because you're just all like, girl, what? Because it's like, it felt like she was um, friends and able to be like really close with like Yaya because like Yaya came from, you know, just like such an esteemed background that she just thought like, oh, well, she, I'm, I feel safe from her. It's, whereas, you know, Eva was like a tomboy, a little rough around the edges. And she's just like, she stole my crystals. I mean, she was doing laundry, but that is definitely not enough reason to accuse someone of stealing something. <laughs> that was like her leeway. She was like, who was doing laundry today? Because her clothes were missing too. Oh her yeah, clothes and her crystals. <laughs> but I and think her... that's a really interesting component of Top Model is just that they do their own laundry and that we have drama centered around laundry. It's just this show was doing so much at the time. They're going out to the club. They're doing laundry. They're doing the photo shoots. They're meeting. They're doing walking with Miss Miss J. I mean, like it's just one thing after another. And I just think that the dynamism of this show, like the concept is not just like, oh, you know, you come and someone gets a contract to be like a model. And it's like, that's scratching the surface. You know, this yeah. was, there's laundry here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Tyra really put them through it this season from the moment they walked in that door until the moment they laid their head down. Why'd you do that, Tyra? Those girls were like put through it. Because the panel challenges too this season are absolutely crazy. The mini challenges crazy. It was crazy. Uh, we Okay, because I'm thinking, I'm like, 
No, they were the because uh, I was just thinking I was like they didn't really do many of the like mini challenges. I feel like um in season two, but they were like definitely amped them up for season three, which I'm I'm I'll be really um it'll be fun talking about some of those because I think season three provided some of my favorites. Oh, they're they're bonkers. <laughs> the things they make those girls do. It's it's really good. <laughs> and like I said, everyone is so invested because at this juncture, especially coming off of season two, and you know, remember Joanna's final that final um the, the helmet shot that she did, and like uh-huh. Joanna really became a thing. And Iconic. So it's like this really was a huge opportunity at the time. Not to say it no longer is, but it just was different then, right? I think there was there was more space for the competitor to win, to not just win, but I mean like win in the world of modeling. And so everyone came in with this impression of not only could this change my life, but you had all these people coming in from these small towns where the narrative was not just about coming in and winning. It was about getting out from where they came from. And I think that added something so interesting. I mean, there's some heartbreaking moments in that first episode when people don't advance on when you don't even know them, but you got yeah. like, like, 10 seconds of their story and you're like, Tyra, change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I totally can absolutely empathize that with that. And we are going to take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to kick off our recap of Cycle 3. We'll be right back. are back and we're chatting with Evan Ross Katz kicking off cycle three. Now cycle one and cycle two have both given us different opportunities on how we meet the girls. We talked with Shandy on cycle two about meeting the girls on the streets of New York City on a bus. And this cycle, we go back to the casting special style with the girls and things get interesting. Maxwell, can you please tell us what's going on in this episode? Yes, of course. So we did touch on it a little bit. This cycle, we do go back to the old style of casting um, where they the girls are sent to Los Angeles. The 34 semifinalists were flown to meet casting producers, Tyra Banks, Jay Emanuel, and Jay Alexander, who Tyra introduces as the first time as Mr. and Mrs. J. Top model facts. This is the part of the show where it gets super silly. These girls are, you know, they're really put to the test by Tyra. She asks the questions, they have the bikini walk, and we get to know a little bit about the girls and uh, see what they're doing at the house. Yes. Okay, so this is uh, such an exciting way that we get to meet the girls. We meet 34 of the dolls trying to compete to impress Tyra. And we get to meet our 14 finalists out at the 34. So the girls get tested by these three, and we get some iconic and some cringe moments. So the girls come in one at a time, like they're doing an audition with a casting director. Okay, so, Evan, what do you think about the casting episode? I mean, the biggest chef's kiss imaginable. It's (laughs) such a joy. And when I went back and rewatched it today in preparation, the thing that stood out for me is that Tyra and the two Js are having so much fun. They are laughing. They are enjoying it. It does not (laughs) feel like a job. They are genuinely interested in the girls. It's just, there's an energy and it just, it's infectious. You feel it watching it. And I also feel like the show's pretty respectful in terms of when girls come in who are kind of not up to snuff for the competition, they take them seriously, they talk to them, they get to know them a bit. There's several times someone walks in, and I know for me as a viewer, I was pretty much like, it's it's a no for now. Um, yeah. But there were never any like rinky-dinky music. Like they were never making fun uh-huh. of anybody. And I thought that was a really interesting choice, especially given that this is 2004 when mm-hmm. people love to exploit people on reality TV. So I thought that was another thing that stood out for me in the casting was that no one came out of it looking like Boo Boo the Fool. Yes, absolutely. And and I, I I fully agree with that. And I think that that's one thing that uh, was always so like special about this is that like, in comparison, I feel like to cycle one, do you remember the casting special in cycle one? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was like a blip of time, but um, it was, it was juicy. Yeah. You know, it's just like, 
to to compare the two, like as you said, it, there was like such a different energy in which, like you know, the three of them were having like such an amazing time as 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 friends and and giving just like Sage advice and honestly just like looking for who was going to be America's next top model. So okay, let's start getting into the into the cast the the contestants. So the first girl that we meet is Anne. 21, from Erie, Pennsylvania. She's a six-time All-American athlete. She loves competing, doesn't like losing. The judges think that she has a muscular body, and she also has a weird and budding relationship with Eva, and they both seem to be playing the mean girls. What are our initial thoughts about Anne? I love Anne so much. I will be honest (laughs) with you. She was the contestant that I had remembered the least. And then the second she popped up in my rewatch, I was like, oh my God, Anne. I think Anne's fascinating in that, for me at least, I thought Anne was going to be a specific archetype that I think there's a little bit more complexity to Anne. And also while we're on this, this makes me think about the fact that these girls are young. I forgot how young these contestants are, Mm -hmm. like across the board. So Anne among the young. And and so I, I really was struck by one, the fact that her and Eva connect like from the get-go. It's not yeah. a like burgeoning friendship. It is It is as though they lock eyes at like the initial meeting of all the girls and like they mm-hmm. are in it to win it together. I think Anne is super duper abrasive and I certainly don't think she's likable by any means, <laughs> but I think I appreciate given this time in reality television, how how fully herself and how unfiltered and unedited Anne is. And I don't think you would get an Anne in 2021 maybe maybe that's for the best but given this time i like the presence of Anne. i think that you definitely need other people to round out the cast to be able to appreciate Anne. you don't want a room yeah. full of ands but yeah. <laughs> i like one and one time yes no <laughs> absolutely so do you feel honestly and from the casting special you know, I know we know so much more about Anne's complexity later on, but just from the, our introduction yes, of Anne, was, do you yeah. feel like she is giving like the leader of the Mean Girls? Do you think that that is the way that like as a viewer you were viewing her at the time? I saw her and Eva kind of uh, playing off one another. I thought mm-hmm. it seemed like there was a lot of that they enabled one another. Absolutely. But I also was struck by the fact of like how many. So there were like. How many girls were initially there for before they made 30, the first cut? Okay. 34. Okay, so like there were a ton of people there. So my impression was just from watching that pool party pool party play out that it seemed like there were conglomerates, that there was like a group of mean girls, but we chose to focus in on Eva and Anne because the editors knew they were going to be sticking around for a while. So what I was struck by was the fact that I don't think either of them were like the leader of the pack necessarily. I just think they were like who the camera, you know, decided to zoom in on. But um, yeah, I mean, they definitely said some things that were uh, tough pills to swallow. (laughs) Okay. Up next, we have... Cassie, 19, from Norman, Oklahoma. Cassie says that she is an all-American girl, but she will win this because she doesn't have an all-American job. She is a stripper, but she keeps it classy. She says she models because she likes the validation, and the judges were surprised that she looked like a model. Question. Can models be strippers? Fuck yeah. Yes. Agree. Like, I sure hope. <laughs> like, and I thought I mean, it was interesting. Stunning. Beautiful. Absolutely. I was curious how the show, given that this was 2004, was going to yeah. handle the conversation because, you know, I'm, or I think we are used to seeing sex work being shamed, mm-hmm. especially in that era. I Absolutely. don't think they like did a beautiful job, but I don't think it was like totally unelegant. I think that they were, they were, pretty respectful it seemed like she was she didn't super respect herself was my that i think that is kind of really where it boils down to and i think that was like almost like i i like later on that i feel like we start to see that be an issue with cassie where it almost was like they were trying to be like girl have some self-respect right you know and like just kind of like around the board they were just kind of like you know like girl you have potential just like love yourself a little bit more right and i also think when you come on a show like this and 
you like come on one of her first talking heads is the fact that she called her dad for money and he hung up the phone on her. That, although that is very sad, that does not immediately endear me to you. It makes me feel bad for you, which as far as first impressions go, and I never want to say a person should do this or shouldn't do that. You should do whatever you want. But I will just say as a viewer, it does, it's a, it's a very particular way to be introduced to a character. Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. Okay. Following Cassie, we are next introduced to Julie, 20, from Kent, Washington. Julie is very proud of her Indian heritage, and she wants to break the mold of what people think of Indian women, and she says that she is the black sheep of the Indian community. Thoughts on Julie? I got the impression from watching it now that Julie wasn't going to be around for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that and this maybe was Julie, and this maybe was the edit, who's to say, but it didn't seem like Julie had a lot of complexity to her. Um, And also when you tell me you're the black sheep of your community, I'm gonna need to know a little bit more as to why when you're as beautiful as Julie. Absolutely. (laughs) That is a very fair thing to need from her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, she just kind of like left us with that. And we were like, okay, well, I guess this is our introduction to you. Julie, we'll find out more. But beautiful. Beautiful nonetheless. Let's move on to Magdalena. Magdalena is going to school to be a nurse and she stopped being stopped going to school to be a top model to go to top model. And um, she's very excited for this opportunity. Okay, so I feel like it should never I feel like you're we learn in top model that your storyline of leaving school to go on to top model is that that's never really going to work out for you in your favor. I almost feel like Tyra is like stay in school girls. Yeah. It doesn't impress them. I don't think it impresses them at all. When people are like, I left school to come and do this. (laughs) They're all like, Oh, well then you must have not had like very much stake in school. School is hard. Yeah. Miss J famously said, medical school is hard. Mm. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we also learned in the next episode that Magdalena is uh, one of Tyra's favorites. Do you see what Tyra sees in in Magdalena? Because I, I don't remember seeing it then. And in watching it back, beautiful girl, I still don't see it. I still don't see the like top modelness now. But Tyra was like really enamored by Magdalena. Not only do I not see it, but there are so many girls in this cast that I do see it for. Absolutely. That in particular, <laughs> it's like her, she has a lack of uh, enigmatic, uh, she lacks an enigmatic quality that so many of these girls do have that I particularly was a little bit like, I, I'm curious. I'd like to see the world through through Tyra's eyes in that moment. <laughs> yes, through Tyra's hazel eyes. Mm, I would love to see life through Tyra's eyes for I mean, a lot of different things, yeah. but that's a different story. <laughs> and now I'm envisioning doing like a face swap with Tyra Banks on Kelly Clarkson's Behind These Hazel Eyes music video. Just saying. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm My there with you. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on. One of my one of my favorites of just like top model of all time. Um, Narelle, twenty from Huntington Beach, California. She is the Orange County girl with the braces. She claims to live a real life Cinderella story. Mr. J asks her if she plays a model in her room, and that's when we learn that she is obsessed with Paris Hilton and that she pretends to be her. The judges comment that she is trying to be Paris Hilton in her walk. Look, I I knew from the jump that Narelle was not going to be um, America's Next Top Model. I knew that there was the potential to see growth there, but also there was this, like, obsession at this time with, like, Southern California culture, you know? And she really fit that, like, SoCal, Cali girl, OC quality. But there was this, there was this, there was something so beautifully earnest about her um, that... I just absolutely love Narelle. And to this day, literally, I just smile from ear to ear when I think about her because she just is like one of the sweetest contestants. So she cute. kind of, she has very like 
if you were to say that the mean girls of the season are kind of like Eva and Anne and Narelle, Narelle uh-huh. very much is like the Gretchen Wieners of this group. <laughs> um, you know, it's like she's definitely inferior to to her her cohorts. But um, I agree with you in that there's just See, something about Narelle. <laughs> I think I would cast Narelle as Karen, to be perfectly oh, honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I no, honestly right. feel like she you're would right. be full-on Karen in these <laughs> I... I I still honestly think of the mini challenge of them in the hot pinks, two short dresses with like the small heels. And she literally looks like one of the sex workers in Grand Theft Auto, like in her walk. Like I think about it all the time. Can I just say Watch- that is why this podcast is so important because it's moments like that, that like deserve <laughs> to be dissected and spoken about. And it's like, who, if not this podcast is going to be talking about these cultural artifacts of 2004. It's important. <laughs> and I'm glad we're bringing it up today. Yes, thank you. I also just um, want to bring attention to this photo of her as well. Like, all the girls got... <laughs> the audience can't see this, and we'll put it on an Instagram, but they... her She's in pajamas and Ugg boots, and all the other girls got, like, professional headshots. This is just so funny to me. Narelle was just so, like, I'm just a... I'm just a... I'm just a girl. <laughs> Very Gwen Stefani. Orange <laughs> County girl. Yeah, she said, I'm just chilling. Well, let's move on to Kelly. Kelly, the icon, 19, from New York City, New York. Kelly is gorgeous and from the last gated community in New York City. She says she's used to being the only black girl in her clique, and all her friends like to say she's a white girl with a really good tan. Mr. or Miss J sees that she has walking potential. Oh, Kelly. I... Oh, this young woman. Um, first of all, like, look, I am never gonna hate on somebody with a bag. I live, I live for the fact that Kelly comes from the last gated community in New York City. Um, I just wish that Kelly had some more um black friends so that she could love herself more. There was a lot of you, you, we, what we got to see through Kelly and like through her uh financial privilege you also got to see like a little bit of this like self-hate that was coming through because she was clearly constantly raised in like these like all white spaces. And she, there was something that was so genuine and pure about her as well. And I feel like people tried to write it off as her being snobby, but that she couldn't help that her pants were Gucci. Like if that, if you ask her where they're from, like that's just where they're from, you know, I loved Kelly and I, I of of the girls and their storylines in this season, I um there I felt like people were so frustrated with her. Um I saw it in the Jays and then panel, but I she is one person that I wish watching back would have gotten a little bit more compassion because I feel like she just needed that help to just love herself a little bit more. I think I'm reminded with her specifically, again, seeing her lower third and seeing that she's 19 years old. It's mm-hmm. easy to forget like just how young these girls are. And so I have yeah. no doubt that what you're speaking to, I have no doubt she would have gotten there in just a few years. So that was one thing. And the other thing too is I'm just reminded of a Dorinda quote from Housewives where she says, money talks, wealth whispers. So I think unfortunately the fact that Kelly's very first moment on the show is her talking about her wealth and her gated community I'm not sure she had the perceptiveness to realize how that might be received by the viewers, which again, who would uh-huh. at 19? Um, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's quite a it's quite a way to meet a person um, when they're walking in and being like, "I come for money," and it's like, "Okay, okay, you do <laughs> <You're> like, great, <laughs> yeah, money, <Yes>. okay." <laughs> All right, so moving on, we have Takara. Can you say, Can you say legendary? 22, Dayton, Ohio. Okay, look. So, Takara, the moment that she entered the room, I feel like the world knew, like, this is a star. She, When she walked in, she says, I'm Takara. I am big, black, beautiful, and loving it. And, like, I'm just, like, I can only imagine the the ripple effect that that sent to so many girls that looked like Takara seeing somebody so beautiful and confident in who they are stepping into a competition in an industry that really like celebrates 
crazy body ideals that most of us cannot even reach. She just was, it just, it was so beautiful. And I feel like, I mean, who couldn't love Takara, you know, in meeting her? Just like icon from like the the moment she walked in. And really asserted the fact that she was so much more than a model. It's not to say that being just a model is means that you're limited, but Takara's star power was such where it's like, just seeing her on screen, the show kind of felt like it just like, it bumped up, like you, you wanted to lean in. Takara was so great. Also, just the fact, again, it's 2004. So right now we live in this world in which, you know, we have conversations about body positivity. And thankfully, thankfully we have platforms like Instagram to show off various types of bodies. But in 2004, women that looked like Takara were not in magazines the way they are today. So her presence on the show, as you just mentioned, Shay, no doubt impacted so many young people watching this show, not only to see her, but to see her self-love and how evident that was, not just in how she said it, but how she moved through the space. And that space, might we add, she was one of two plus-size girls in this room full of extremely skinny models that no doubt has to be, I was going to say intimidating, maybe that's not the word, but it it has to do something to you, right? To feel so othered. And that didn't bother her one bit because she knew who she was and she knew what she meant to this world. It's just, she's remarkable. She deserves it all. Absolutely. All the flowers yes. for Takara. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, I mean, next we have Leah. Sure. 24 <laughs> from Oklahoma City. Leah, um, she was raised building fences with her father. She says that she has a very conservative background, but um, she is ready for the judges to nude her up. Um, okay, so, like, is it me, or does, like, Leah give mom energy? Big mom energy. And it's crazy to think, because, like, she's 24, which is young, but she's actually one of the older... Right, like, the elder elder group, yeah. (laughs) So, like, that's still, like, a baby. (laughs) Totally. Um, you know, she's really giving, uh, um, I love my kids. Um, She's giving toothpaste. To quote Mr. J, she's giving you know, but you know what? Toothpaste pays bills. Like, I will never understand why anybody would say like, oh, a toothpaste model as if like that is not like a big fat check. Well, she's got kids, so she's got a family to feed. She should be doing toothpaste ads. I mean. Yes. Yes. I mean, look, bless. I mean. Yeah, there's really not much more to say about Leah. That's the thing about Leah. It's There's just an early boot energy to Leah. Yeah. Um, where it's like, cool, Leah. Yeah. And. Because I, I was really trying to, like, dig up, like, what was, like, really generally. And I mean, she did leave early. But, like, the, just, like, the genu- general impression that Leah left. And it is very, like, uh, But you know, you know what? So, I bet she is a great mother. I bet you she is too. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will keep meeting these new contestants. We'll be back. We are back. During the casting special, we get to see some of the drama at home in between casting days. There's talking behind each other's backs, shady remarks, and an iconic bar fight. Some of the girls we meet during casting don't make it to the top model house, but leave a lasting impression in top model history. Let's first talk about Mary. Mary is 22 from Portland, Oregon. She is a plus-size girl, and she really wanted to make a splash in the plus-size world. She knows that the show will make it Takara versus her, but she thinks that it they should cast them both. Do you feel like uh, Mary was sent home too soon? No. I agree with her sentiment entirely, and I think that that's... I love the idea of sisterhood versus rivalry, completely. But the reality is, I just don't think Mary uh, had a really like a lot to really bring to the competition. And also, as Takara pointed out, 
Yes, I guess Mary would qualify as plus size, but like in today's world, even Takara, these girls are tiny. So I just think that if she was going to come on, the thing about Takara is that Takara does not define herself. Like her narrative on the show is not just I am a plus size model. Takara is so many things. Mary was giving me I am here and I am going to be the plus size model. And I just don't think she sees on the opportunity to present herself with a little bit more, you know, offer more than just that. Next, let's talk about Amy, who is from Osala, Florida. Is that how you say that? Osala? Osala? Ocala. 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 I don't know. Whatever. I'm making things up. I like Ocala better. Okay, so nice. Amy, Amy is very thin. The judges think it might send the wrong image about the modeling world. She says that a lot of people accuse her of having an eating disorder, but she consumes a lot of calorie shakes. Tyra lets her know, though, that she got her ass from eating ribs, baby, and not from eating shakes. She needs to eat some real food. Um, I mean, what are our thoughts on this story? It's obviously kind of dark, but I mean, it's also a truth of the modeling world. It is. I love Tyra's sage advice of being like, I got this ass from eating ribs, yes. baby. Tyra Tippett. I think ribs. it's a, it's a <laughs> tough moment to watch. I wouldn't say it's like the most cringe. You'll get a lot cringier moments from Top Model and many other shows of this era. But it was a little bit uncomfortable in that it's clearly something that she's grappled with her whole life. It's clearly something that she's actively working on. She talked about the fact that she was on weight gainers of some kind. And so to walk into a competition like this and have that be the first thing that's sort of criticized is tough. At the same time, you entered into this competition, which is all about looks. You kind of knew the space you were coming into. So I'm not deeply sympathetic to her. Um, but it was a moment where I was like, how was the show going to handle this? I, yeah, it was, a, it was a little, I wouldn't say cringy, but it was borderline cringy. Okay. So lastly, we have to talk about Tiffany. Today will not be the last time we talk about this. Tiffany though. So we have, Miss Tiffany, who is 21 from Miami, Florida. Tiffany comes in mentioning that she may come off ghetto. And she tells us about her troubled past and that she wants to make her family proud and show that she can be something more than just want. She is tired of being tough. Tiffany's storyline definitely makes you feel for her. And you can tell that she is excited to make changes in her life. And unfortunately, she got into that bar fight. Now... Do you think Tiffany was wrong in that bar fight? No. No. I, okay. I, I'm like, it, it, I'm like, in what world was any of that Tiffany's fault? Oh, yeah, completely. She had such restraint. I know. I know. I'm like, okay, this random, random, just random walks up to you in a bar and then just pours a beer over your head and then you retaliate by throwing a little bit of a drink back on her and then she's full on throwing bottles at you and you're considered the aggressor glass glass throwing glass, glass. oh my Lots god of glass. like yes they all grabbed their drinks and threw them everyone yeah. was like very calm throughout the fight like not just them i just mean the overall atmosphere of the bar it's like i would have just thought it's like once glass starts being thrown it's thrown. like but everything was just kind of like let's get out of here let's go like, yeah, let's just go. No, that was wow. very, very uncomfortable. And I'm I'm glad that the show was able to continue the conversation back into the bus um, and sort of have Tiffany defend the way she acted because there were other girls that were sort of like coming at her. That was one of those great moments that a show like Top Model can facilitate in that you have so many people from different walks of life and the situation happens where lots of different people would handle it different ways. Some people have been in situations similar to that. Others have never seen anything like that. And you get to see how everyone reacts, not only to the situation, but to how each other are reacting. So as far as like the reality show component, I, that was one of those moments I forgot because, you know, modern Top Model does not you don't get a lot of, you don't get them out. It's a lot more mm -hmm. camera on, camera off. Um, yeah. And early top model, it's like camera on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how much footage those editors just like had to go through? Because it was very camera on. 
And I've been to Barney's Beanery where those girls got into that fight. It is not that kind of place. Like, why are people throwing drinks like that? Oh, goodness. You know, hey, 2004 was a completely different time. You know, people just be wilding in these clubs. It is pretty shocking that she goes home just because they spend so much time on her story and Mm -hmm. you feel so much for Tiffany as the viewer that, I mean, obviously spoiler alert, you know, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll be meeting her again, but there's something about, there was a quality when I was watching it where, where I was like, you sent your lead character home in episode one. It just was like, there were other people I had my eye on, but I was shocked that we wouldn't, there was so much story in Tiffany and and so much like she was on the track of growth like you she there was a willingness to 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 grow she was ready for it i'm really surprised that they would let her go yeah same all right <laughs> okay so let's get back into our finalists so now when it comes to the order we save the best for last so next we meet amanda Amanda is 24 from Hendersonville, North Carolina. Amanda says whatever it thing that they're looking for, she's got it. She's a mother and she feels that that would also play a role in the house. However, the judges are concerned that her being a mother will hinder her top model career. What are your initial thoughts on Amanda? Is she sort of polarizing? Amanda reminds me of, like, a character from American Horror Story. There's just, like, something very, like, (laughs) mystical about Amanda. It's kind of like, is Amanda real? Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm... all eyes on Amanda. I'm very interested in her. I like the the storyline of is having kids going to be a hindrance to your career? Because the reality is, yes, it, it quite could be. But you also want to believe that there are workarounds to this, right? It's like we live in a world in which it's like many, there are many working mothers out there that make it work. So I think it was less that she can't do it and more like, how will she do it? Um, but I mean, she is a classic early reality television kook, but like... I love it. Like, I I think she was an important person to have in this group. Also, the reveal that happens towards the end of the episode when she tells the other girls that she is legally blind and will be losing her eyesight in the next, I believe it's 10 years. Their reaction to that reminded me of when Tyra walked into the room and everyone got off off their chairs. This was like the polar opposite, but same energy level where it's like, you thought that she had said, it was as though she announced that that she'd won and everyone else was going home. They were (laughs) devastated. And it was funny because she was kind of just being like, no, 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 I'm good. So you guys, (laughs) you need to be good. It was a really interesting reaction (laughs) uh, just because they really, uh, the tears were flowing. They really were. The girls were like, damn, Amanda. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I'm fine. (laughs) Let's move on to another icon, because next we meet Yaya, who's 21 from Harlem, New York. She is so gagged to be in front of the panel. Tyra immediately states that she is impressed with Yaya's education. Yaya goes to Brown University, as we learn. She is there to represent Black beauty and admits that she has issues with her skin, which we also know is very triggering for her throughout the whole cycle. Um, do we think the judges were too critical of Yaya, though? I felt like they constantly were talking about her education and how she was, like, too proud to be Black, which I thought was so weird. I, okay, initial thoughts, I feel like they were very um, enamored by Yaya. I personally, when Yaya walked in the room, I was just all like, my bet's on her. Like, I, because, okay, the same way that I feel like in any type of, like, competition, when you see somebody that you feel, like, represents you, I was just all like, Yaya is the girl that I feel like I can most connect with. And I feel like if you look at, like, my drag, you feel like Shay and Yaya would definitely kick it, bitch. You know? (laughs) You're like, those two girls are definitely going to brunch and, like, hopping on private jets to go to Kenya and chilling at resort, you know, and get the freshest fruit and let their braids hang low, okay? Um, and, and look, I, I, and also, just as somebody with skin issues, too, I was like, yes, Yaya, I feel you, girl. Like, it's hard. Um, I just, I, I immediately was like, this girl has, like, got it. But 
I feel like what you're saying, Maxwell, I do agree because like later on, I feel like there is this switch where the judges start to feel like she is like too proud and they, they, I feel like they misconstrue her confidence and almost try to like find ways to like break her down. And it's just like, yeah, there are moments there where I feel like in reflecting on it, I'm like, mm, that was not okay. It seemed like, and this happens from time to time on the show, where like the bar was set a little higher for Yaya. And so oftentimes she would get criticisms that were valid, but that weren't in line with the other criticisms that other contestants were getting. Because it might, and it seemed that, that it was that way because they saw something in her and really expected the best, but it just didn't seem like it was even across the board. I would say one thing about Yaya in in conjunction to the rest of the cast is she's less of a big personality than so many of these other contestants. So for the reality television aspect of this, not the competition aspect, Yaya can fall more behind just because there are other bigger personalities who I think um, take, you know, take your attention quicker. Um, But that's why I'm so glad that she stuck around for so long because you get a real journey with her. Yes. Okay, up next, we have Jennifer with a PH from Pocatello, Arkansas. Um, She just needs to get out of Arkansas, y'all. She wants to grow from her hometown, and she feels like this is her break to get out. So, Jennifer with a PH want to get out of her small town. Do you think she has what it takes? Um, I don't. I don't, I don't either. think she has what it takes, but I wish her the best. Ooh, um, she's actually married. I did some research. She's currently married to Brian Erlacher, who is a Chicago Bears player, like the head quarterback or something. This computes. Oh, yeah. So, yes. so she did move on to bigger and better things, but he is also a big Trump supporter. Okay. Oh, gosh. So that no also birds of a feather. Yeah. So Jennifer Ooh. with a PH. <laughs> but you know what? I'm already, Jennifer with a PH, I'm already going to put this um, out there in the universe because I can see it now. The casting for The Real Housewives of Chicago. Jennifer with a PH, throw her in there. Absolutely. Throw Jennifer with a PH in there because I bet you, oh, girl, I don't know who the other housewives is, but she would be I feel like she would give us something good. Yeah. Undoubtedly. (laughs) Someone else who would probably give us a really good housewife narrative is Christy. Christy says her strongest attribute is her blonde hair. (laughs) She is a proud Republican and she thinks she is the only one in New York City. And her she wore an American flag prom dress to her senior prom that she also wore to panel. Yes. I remember at the time, I didn't know what a Republican was because I was, you know, much younger at the time. (laughs) And I come from a very liberal uh, part of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so just seeing her say that, I remember the time like not understanding what that meant. And then also (laughs) there was that thing, which again, now I know today, but that idea where I was confused why Republicanism equated to like um, America, like loving America. I didn't understand the correlation there that I now very much understand. Um, But I have to say, like, I was surprised that in 2004 we were having a contestant like this and we were talking about, not, I guess it's like talking, yeah, I mean, it is politics. Like, I was surprised that we were going there. But then I was like, well, how many other, you know, we talked about eating disorders. We're talking about blindness. It's like this falls in line with a lot of the other people that came in and gave you, you know, a quick soundbite. And it definitely made her interesting because it's like, oh, who's the Republican this season? Oh, yeah, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Good old Republican Christy. Yeah. Where do you think she got that dress? Custom baby. I hope. I really hope. <laughs> Bespoke. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine her Mima would have made it. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, up next, we have Nicole, 21, from Minnow, North Dakota. She thinks she is meant for this competition. During the panel, she tells them that when she gets drunk, she loves everyone, men and women. So... Thoughts on Nicole? Bicon. Can you say? Can you say? Legendary. I mean, like, just love her. I think it was so, you know, unlike, you know, Christy before who, who comes in, it's like, 
I, my name's Christy, I'm a Republican. Nicole had an energy about her that wasn't like, I'm Nicole and I'm bisexual. It was more like, I'm Nicole, I love everybody. Sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman. There was a casualness about the way uh -huh. she made it all out there that wasn't as though she was coming on to be the token bisexual. It was uh -huh. more just like, I'm coming on, I love everyone. Part of loving everyone means that I enjoy getting down with men and women and probably all genders. I mean, Nicole definitely just feels like of the contestants that I feel like you could kiki with, Nicole feels like there's a couple. I mean, Takara yeah. being number one, but Nicole mm -hmm. definitely just feels like Nicole's down and she's part, yes. of, us. She's part of the community. Yes, we love it. I kind of <laughs> forgot about her when I was when I watched this again. I was like, oh my gosh! And like, spoiler alert, she goes on for a while. Like for somebody to last that long, I was like, I forgot about her really. She, but she is iconic. Yes, yes. Okay, and last we have Eva, nineteen from Los Angeles, California. Eva walks in with all of the confidence that we are looking for in this episode and when she rips the sunglasses off and Tyra lets her know that she has been voted the most unliked girl out of everyone Tyra breaks Eva down and we can tell that she's really hurting um that moment I mean we touched upon it at the top of the episode but like I really want to be able to like unpack that now because that really was honestly for me, so impactful in so many ways because they, they, I, I, first of all, I love that the strategy of saving Eva whilst asking all the other girls who they disliked the most. Like, I, like, I'm wondering, like, when they were going through the casting process, like, every time someone said Eva's name, did she get moved like further right. further on to like the back of the list just to like make sure that they could collect like all the like Eva votes for her, you know? <laughs> I think about that. I think about that. But, you know, and it's, and I just, yeah. I mean, I knew from that moment that I also was going to love me, me some Eva, and uh, she, it's funny that, you know, we were talking about um, a housewife's trajectory with um, another, a previous contestant, because we do have Eva who went on to be on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And, you know, I feel like there are some, there's some cute correlations. It's know? interesting because I think that many people like us that know this iteration of Eva were hoping for this Eva to show up on America, excuse me, on uh, Real Housewives <laughs> of Atlanta. And uh -huh. we never got this Eva at all. She actually really reminds me of Christian Siriano in the sense of like, we were introduced to them on early reality TV as one way. And then uh -huh. the modern versions of them that we know now are like uh -huh. so polar opposite, which of course this happens, right? People grow, yeah. people change. Mm -hmm. But this Eva, I mean, it just feels so comfortable watching it it's so uh -huh. fun and and again it's not right to to call her a mean girl i actually think is like making it a little too simple she's yeah. not just a mean girl she can be very mean um yeah. she really can and, and, and unfiltered <laughs> and it's fabulous um but there's a lot more to her and like to your point about pointing out the moment when she cries early on you start to see that the shield that she uses to get through life it's very easily moved right like Tyra doesn't have to push or pull very hard to get that to come down and so I think that Eva's just there's so much to her and I'm a little bit in rewatching cycle three right now I'm like it would have been so fun to see Eva the diva show up on top Mo excuse me to show up on housewives I feel like we yes. were robbed of this Eva in you know the modern day I feel like we truly were. I feel like the only time we really got this Eva on Real Housewives was um, when she had that argument with Marlo on the bus in Japan. Oh. That was it. That was it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that was good. good. <laughs> it made up for it all. Uh, well, look, that is all the girls and all of the drama that have been brought to us just in the first episode of Cycle 3. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. Did you have a good time? I had such a good time. It's so fun to go back and rewatch this show and fall back in love with it. 
Yes. Okay, well, can you tell everyone where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Evan Ross Katz, and you cannot find me on Twitter because I am no longer using that platform. All right. Well, <laughs> don't worry, everyone. <laughs> I will miss you. Don't worry. But hey, you'll be back with us here on the show on Thursday, and you are going to be spilling some tea with us all over again. I can't wait. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And look, if you have any top model facts or questions for Maxwell and me, our guests, or even just want to say hi, you can send us an email to beontoppod at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe to Wanna Be On Top wherever you listen and make sure to rate and review the show. It helps us grow. I'm Shay Coulet. And I'm Maxwell Esposito. And as always, the question remains, Wanna Be On Top? Wanna Be On Top is not endorsed by America's Next Top Model or any other show's creators, producers, or distributors. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. America's Next Top Model and all names, pictures, audio, and video clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. Wanna Be On Top? Forever. To listen to Wanna Be On Top? ad-free and Monday early. Sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Wanna Be On Top? Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Yes, bitch, I said five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wanna Be On Top is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by Shea Coulee, produced by Maxwell Esposito, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Big Dipper, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. 